You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. It says in verse 1, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. And he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. I wanted to preach that. There's so much in here. I wanted to preach that, Lord, my Lord, pass not away. Pass me, don't pass me by. Verse 4, let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree and I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on. For therefore are ye come to your servant and they said, so do as thou hast said. Let me just remind you that Abraham is 99 years old. And look what he does. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah. I'm I'm in my 40s, and I don't feel like I ever hasten just by accident. Now this, by the way, I was thinking George Ellis the whole time I was reading this this week, just his spirit and energy back there. It says, Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal kneaded and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran into, under the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto a young man and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them and he stood by them under the tree and they did eat. He wasn't ready for this at all, but by the time they're done, it's a feast. Um, this, this is an incredible act of hospitality. Look at verse 9. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. Think about how many times it mentions this this here. They're old, well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Kind of like when you're children, you see them do something, and like, I didn't do it, I saw you do it. <laughs> Nay, thou didst laugh. She's been caught, but honestly, that interaction right there was, I believe, a turning point in Sarah's life. And as God comes to this tent in the heat of the day, he comes 
to give them reassurance that he is who he says he is and that, and that his promises are sure. And this was helpful for Abraham and Sarah. We know this was for the children of Israel as they were reading it coming out of Egypt into Canaan. They needed reassurance. And sometimes life situations are less than ideal. And when they are, we can either focus on our limitations or God's abilities. We can either focus on our weaknesses or God's word. And today I want to focus on that one question that was asked for Sarah's sake. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And I said that to Brother Bob this morning, Brother Bob Adele. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And he says, and that's a capital no. Absolutely not. Let's pray and then we'll have the special and get into the message this morning. Father, thank you for this truth. I'm already excited to preach it. I pray that you'd help us to be open to it. And then, Lord, I pray that you would just work in our hearts about this truth. Lord, help us to confront ourselves and our life situations with that question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Lord, help us to be honest and open before you and willing to submit to whatever it is that you lead us. Bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Um, maybe you're familiar, and you probably, I think most of you, most people are familiar, at least to some degree, with this, but there's an old, the old Peanuts, Peanuts comic strip. Okay, Charlie Brown, Snoopy, okay, that good old spiritual food from the old days. You know, one of the most famous recurring episodes, and maybe this is what, this is the one that comes to my mind when I think of the Peanuts episodes, is I, I think of Charlie Brown and Lucy, Kicking the football? Okay, somebody said it. You know, one of the most famous recurring storylines is Lucy holding a football out for Charlie Brown and for Charlie Brown to come along and kick it. And then every time that Charlie Brown is about to kick the football, Lucy pulls it away. And he goes flying up in the air and he's in the air saying something usually while he flies in the air and he lands up flat on his lands flat on his back and I was looking at one of those recently in one of the episodes Lucy comes along and she convinces Charlie Brown that she's a changed person she says this time I I will hold the football and then she smiles real big and she says "Um, this is a face you can trust and the smile still looks evil because Lucy was always the evil one I thought so Charlie Brown ever the trusting one he backs up Nice and far, and he runs as fast as he can, and he he goes to kick the football right as Lucy pulls it away again. And he's flying through the air, and he says in the air, she did it again. And laying on his back, Lucy comes over to Charlie Brown and stands over him and says, I admire you, Charlie Brown. You have such faith in human nature. As if to say, Charlie Brown, you're the only one that would have trusted me again. You know, and I just, I was thinking about that, that phrase, and actually how spiritually true this whole thing is. You know, there's a lot to learn from that. The biggest lesson, I think, is don't trust a woman with a football. (laughs) Not really. Well, maybe. write, Write that one in your Bibles, young people. No, it might be more accurate to say this. If you place your faith in the wrong source, you'll probably end up flat on your back. If you place your trust 
in the wrong person, you'll probably be disappointed. And the reason I can say that is because any person you place your trust in is the wrong person. Meaning, we're all limited and you cannot trust what someone else will do. They have limitations and they will likely disappoint you. And truthfully, I wonder if Abraham and Sarah felt like Charlie Brown. You know, they were, there are all these incredible things that, that were dependent on them having a son. But for 25 years, every opportunity to see it happen left them just like this laying flat on their back. And you should turn that off now because no one will listen the rest of the sermon. We might bring it up later. But, but that is, I really believe that in many ways, Abraham and Sarah, for 25 years or so, they have these promises and every time it looks like it might happen, the football gets yanked out from underneath them. And after that many years of being disappointed, you think you might start growing pretty cynical. I mean, think about all the times to this point the football has been moved. I mean, from the very beginning, the Bible says in Genesis eleven thirty that Sarah was barren. I mean, God made her barren. She was barren from the beginning. And yet Abram's name meant father. And God came and made a promise to them that they would have many children. And yet God is the one who decided that, they, that she would be barren from the very beginning. Football yanked out. Um, Abraham had suggested at one point that Eleazar, his servant, he said, well, we can't have children, so Eleazar is my servant. He's the next in line. Could, could my heir come from him? And God said, nope, that doesn't work. And then Sarah comes up with a great idea, a uh, great idea in quotation marks, to have Abraham marry, marry Hagar, her maid, and, and go in unto her like, like she's his wife. And he does, and Ishmael is born, and God immediately makes that clear that is not the right answer as well. Not to mention the fact that at this point in Genesis 18, Abraham is almost 100, Sarah's almost 90, and they're well beyond childbearing years. In case we didn't know it, it says it multiple times in the text. Six times, six references in this passage alone, Abraham and Sarah, it says they're old or they're waxen old, past childbearing years, past that time of life. Listen, every time they had a different plan, every time they had a new idea, every time something came along that said, okay, maybe this is it, or maybe this is the time, the football was moved away every single time. And you think, well, God's just me. No, no, God's not like Lucy, okay? Lucy's like Satan, okay? <laughs> no, God's not like Lucy because God has a reason for it. You see, because every time that they came up with a new plan and every time they came up with a new idea, they weren't trusting in the right source. And God said, nope, that's not the right one. So he moved the football, not to be mean, not to be cruel, but in order to teach them a lesson that they needed to know. And this was a very important interaction. And it wasn't really just for Abraham. Yet, th yes, this, this interaction in Genesis 18, I believe it's for Sarah. So we already read this, but just to recap, um, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Now notice in verse 1 it says, And the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that's Jehovah himself, it's Jesus Christ. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. They call this a theophany, and it happens more than you probably realize. And Abraham, I believe he doesn't know it at first. It just becomes apparent as they have the conversation. This is God, this is Jesus Christ appearing to Abraham. 
It identifies in chapter 19, verse 1, it identifies the other two men. It says, and there came two angels to Sodom. That's these two men. It was Jehovah, Jesus Christ, Old Testament appearance of Christ, a theophany with two angels. They come along to Abraham. It's the hottest part of the day. And it says, he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Have you ever been in a tent while it's hot? You really don't want to just be inside the tent. Okay, you appreciate the shade, but he's sitting in the door so there he would get the breeze as well. In verse 2 it says, he lift up his eyes and looked and lo, three men stood by him. And he, so it says he's sitting there and, and that word low almost brings an element of surprise that he just looks up and suddenly there's these three men standing there that he hadn't seen. Look at his response. And I just want you again to notice, remember he's 99. It says in verse 2 that he bowed, he ran to meet them from the door, bowed himself toward the ground. Yeah, you, you get to a certain age where bowing is fine but getting up is not. So he goes 99 and he bows before them. Verse 3, he says, My Lord, if now I find favor in thy sight, pass not away. Don't leave. Stick around, I pray thee. Stick here for thy servant and then let a little water, I pray you, be fetched. I'll get you some water. He says, I'll wash your feet. Rest yourselves under that tree. He says, I'll go fetch a morsel of bread. We find out he's not just getting a morsel of bread. We'll find out later what he gets. He says, comfort ye your hearts, and after that, then ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, so do as thou hast said. Again, he's 99 years old, and he's hastening, he's running. Look what it says, and look verse 6. And Abram what? Abraham what? Hastened. He's running into the tent unto Sarah. He says, make ready quickly three measures of fine meal. And by the way, that's a... From what I understand, that's about 80 cups of flour. Okay, this was a feast for more than just three men. Okay, this was a, this was a feast that you wouldn't get of very many places. This is, these are large portions. And he, he goes and he says, make, make this much, make this much bread. And then he kills a calf, a whole animal. He goes and kills a calf prepares it and he brings out the meat he brings out all this bread it's an all-you-can-eat buffet and he brings it out with butter and milk and then while they're eating it the bible says in verse 8 that he stands there waiting on them like hand and foot like he's the waiter and if they if, he, if they need anything he's just going to go get it for them i mean a lot of people use this passage as a way to show that we should be hospitable and, and I, I would love to have preached that because I think it's an important point, especially in this day and age. You know, I wish more were concerned about hospitality like Abraham is. I wish, especially in this, this culture that we're living in, it really is causing us to be disconnected. And this culture is a, you know, disconnect or connect online as if that's a good replacement and it's not. You know, face-to-face -face interaction, we were made for that. And, you know, it's our culture is saying disconnect. Our culture is saying be, be more concerned about yourselves. And listen, I, I would love it if at Eastside Baptist Church, and I think this happens, but I'd love it if our, we were this hospitable, hospitable, hospitable almost to a fault. You know, we ought to be. But hospitality is not the main point of the text. Verse 9 starts to shed some light on the main point. Here's the reason for the visit. And they said unto him, where is Sarah? See, you start to get the idea, they're not just there for Abraham. 
There's a lesson here for Sarah. And listen, and this would have been an abnormal kind of a thing to request. One man comes to another man's tent and, and usually the wife is inside the tent helping get things ready just like Sarah is. And so to come along and inquire of another man's wife would not have been a typical interaction. Some would might even say that that was an inappropriate thing to do. But I believe it's in this question that it starts to reveal a couple things. It starts to let Abraham know that this is not an average visit. First of all, how do they know her name? But second of all, not just how do they know her name, how do they know her name's been changed? Because it hasn't been very long that Sarah was called Sarai. And they come asking for Sarah. And so Abraham's wheels have got to start turning and then second, this also reveals to Abraham the purpose of the visit. The Lord is there for Sarah's sake. Sarah is on God's mind. Look at verse 10. It says, and he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the door, in the tent door, which was behind him. So God is thinking about Sarah. And I just want to stop and I just went out in my notes, but listen. Um, you may think that all things are by accident, but I'm telling you very clearly this morning, God has you here at Eastside Baptist Church for a reason. And, and, I, and you may think that God is here for somebody else, but I can tell you this, he's here for you. Just like he came along and he appeared, appeared very deliberately and on purpose for Sarah's sake. Listen, there is something in your life that God wants to deal with. And he's come along this morning. He brought you here. He woke you up. You're here for a reason. There are already people here that have, I, I know that God has already done great work in their heart this morning. And they're here for a reason. And listen, you are here for a reason. Don't miss the fact that God doesn't just leave us to wonder and find answers for ourselves. No, God is a God that seeks people. And he comes seeking Sarah. Where is Sarah, thy wife? He says she's in the tent. And he reconfirms the promise that he had made so many years before and says, listen, Sarah will have a son. Back in 1721, look at chapter 17, verse 21. It says, but my covenant, this is when God was talking to Abraham, my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. So this was probably, some say this may have just been days or weeks before Genesis 18, that God had come to Abraham and said, listen, Sarah will have a son, and in, in, about, in about the next year, she'll have a child. So the Lord had already talked to Abraham about this, but it seems that Abraham either hadn't told Sarah that God had come and said that, or Sarah was having a tough time buying it. The football had been pulled out from her too many times. So the Lord wants to talk to Abraham, but he wants to talk to her, him about Sarah, and he also knows that Sarah's inside the tent and that, she, that she's listening, and he talks to Abraham, but he talks to Abraham for Sarah's sake. I've done that with my children before when I'm praying and they're being bad. My dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help Jace to finally start obeying mom because if he doesn't, he knows when dad gets home, he will get in big trouble and, and he, all of his Legos will be put away. And I'm looking to the side, like, are you listening to this? And I'm talking to God, but I'm talking to God for my son's sake. Well, God comes talking to Abraham, but he's talking to Abraham for Sarah's sake. 
And he comes, and, and, and this is the way the culture would have been, you know, that you deal, the man would deal with the man. But listen, God is concerned about Sarah. He wants her to be on board too. He wants her, you know what he wants? He wants her to be reassured. God's not just interested in Abraham knowing. He wants Sarah to know. Look at verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. In case you forgot, children are unlikely. 99 and 89, almost 100 and almost 90. It wasn't just Sarah that was barren. It wasn't just the fact that she's barren. Here it is. It's, it's that she's past the age that even fruitful mothers could have children. It's not that she's 30 and barren. It's that she's 90 and she's barren. She's even past, nobody has children when they're 90, period. So listen, this is an impossible situation. And here's where we start to get a glimpse into Sarah's mind. In verse 12, it says, Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After am I, I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? She laughs at the news. Have you ever laughed at a time where you weren't supposed to be laughing? You say, yes, in church, just about every week. Something strikes you funny, and it's only in church that you can't control your laughter, right? Well, here's Sarah inside the tent, and she's laughing. And it says that she laughed within herself, which makes it seem that she didn't even laugh out loud. She didn't even laugh so that somebody could hear it audibly. And her laugh, though, is essentially saying... What are they talking about? I'm past time. Abraham and I are way past even the ability to have a physical relationship. This whole thought is so absurd to her that she laughs. Now, I want to point out in a chapter before, Abraham had laughed too. But it seems, though, that his was more a laugh of amazement. You know, it wasn't rebuked by God. But here's Sarah's laugh, and she does get rebuked by God. You know, it starts to let us see that Sarah has an issue of, of doubt. Sarah has an issue of unbelief. Verse 13, and the Lord said unto Sarah, wherefore did Sarah, or Abraham, wherefore did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I of a surety bear a child, which am old? Now listen, if Abraham didn't know that this was Jesus Christ, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, Jehovah, if he didn't know before, he knows now. Because the Lord now is saying, listen, I know what your wife just thought. I know that your wife just laughed. I know what she just thought. And listen, the mask has come off. Abraham knows that he's talking to Jehovah. And then the Lord asks, why did she laugh? And then he says the most important thing in answer to, this, to her laughing. And this is the most important statement in the whole, the whole text. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I mean, another definition for the word hard is wonderful. And it literally, you could say, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? I mean, think about the Lord. He's full of wonder. He's full of all these incredible things, all these things that he has done. Do you think anything's too wonderful for him? And when you ask it like that, I'm sure that Sarah inside the tent felt like, oh boy, I'm in big trouble. Because the truth is, he's saying, is anything too hard or wonderful for the one who created the heaven and the earth? I mean, how could anything be too difficult for the one who spoke all things into existence? And therefore, Abraham and Sarah, for Sarah's sake, Abraham and Sarah, if nothing is too difficult or wonderful for me, how can you continue in unbelief? 
If I created the heavens and the earth, and I am the Lord, and you believe that, and I spoke all things into existence, how can you sit inside the tent and not believe that I can do this? Sarah denied it in verse 15, but God confronted her doubt and said, nay, but thou didst laugh. And it's here that God's reason for coming is expressed, and that is because Sarah had a problem with unbelief. And I think I understand the struggle. I mean, I don't fully understand the struggle, but have you ever in your time waited for something and waited for something and it didn't come to pass and your prayers didn't get answered like you thought they would and it just kept going and you thought it'd never be fixed and you had one disappointment after another disappointment after another disappointment? Well, that's Sarah's life. 90 years of disappointment. 90 years of barrenness, 90 years of fruitlessness, and especially the last 25 or so when she'd been given a promise of a son and yet it still hadn't happened. I mean, 25 years earlier, maybe there was a chance when God first came and she's 70 or, you know, 75 maybe, maybe 65, you know, 25 years earlier, whatever it was, maybe there was a chance back then. It would have been small, but maybe, but now she's like, I'm 90. You know, that didn't happen. I was barren. You know, Moses tried to say, well, what about Eliezer, my servant? And that was shot down. Then the disaster with Hagar, and that we're still feeling the effects of that one. One disappointment after another disappointment, and now she's at the place that it's absolutely, humanly, 100% impossible. All the prayers, begging God, many tears, pleading for a son, not one of those things answered. And you know what Sarah has finally done? Sarah has finally built a wall of unbelief. She has finally built a wall of doubt. She won't even let her mind go there. Because it's impossible. And she'd rather just assume that she'll die barren than take hold of false hopes again. The football has been pulled out from under her for the last time. And this is what happens when expectations are disappointed, folks. See, we grow cynical that things will never change. And we assume that our present condition will be our permanent condition. And we assume it's too late. This applies in so many things. We assume that the hardened heart that we've been praying for for all these years will not yield. We assume that the prayer that hasn't been answered will be ignored once again. We assume that we'll never see anything better than what we're looking at. But, but Sarah's not seeing the picture of what God has done. See, while Sarah believes that God has brought her to this place to disappoint her, the Lord has actually been using the disappointments to work in her. See, he's exposing her to a process that we must all submit to at different times of our lives. See, what the Lord is doing is bringing Sarah to the end of human answers. He's bringing her to the end of what humans can do. He's, turn, he's turned down every solution. He's rejected every idea. He's turned down every plan. He has waited till there's absolutely no possibility for it to be done through human means. The Lord has brought them to the point that they have to say, this is impossible. It's impossible for me. It's impossible for him. It's impossible. And rather, But rather than give up hope, which is what we often do, God wants their response to be one in which they stop looking around for answers. And start looking up for answers. See, he wants them to embrace the truth of Psalm 118.8. It says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. 
The truth is the big things are impossible for man. You can't save yourself. It's impossible. You cannot save yourself. You cannot make yourself be right with God and get to heaven on your own strength. You can't heal yourself of whatever ailment you've got. It's impossible. You can't change someone else's heart. It's impossible. You can't turn a trial or a tribulation or a challenge. You can't turn that into something good. It's impossible. You can't produce spiritual fruit on your own. You can try and you can try, but you can't do it on your own. It's impossible. But see, rather than give up because it's impossible, what the Lord wants us to do, what he desires is that we follow up those thoughts with this. But wait, is anything too hard for the Lord? See, you see, it isn't until we come to the end of our, our, our answers that we looked up, look up to God for his and for 25 years to Abraham and Sarah, God has said, that won't work. That's not it. Nope, not that one either. Not that way. This isn't happening. Over and over, Sarah has seen human ideas fall by the wayside. Football after football has been moved. And now, I'm too old to be fruitful. I'm past the time of even having a physical relationship with my husband. It is impossible. All the answers that we've been looking to for all these years have been taken away. But it, listen, it's at the end of self that God comes along and says impossible for you but not for me see if I can make the heavens there's no promise too hard for me to keep and if I can speak the earth into existence there's no prayer too big for me to answer and if I can make everything that you see, there's no problem too hard for me to solve. And if the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool, there's no person too lost for me to save. There's no womb too dry for me to bring life to. There's no cancer too far spread in your body for me to take away. There's no work situation too complex for me to solve. There's no relationship too broken for me to fix. There's no marriage too far gone. There's no child too far away. Is anything too far for God too hard for God and what brother Bob said this morning it's a capital no I might even throw some exclamation points in there and I don't like to do that my wife does that exclamation point about everything what time are you going to be home 6 30 great exclamation point you know I don't like to use lots of exclamation points but on this one I would this is a resounding Capital explanation, explanation point, no. There is nothing too hard for God. And he wants us to come to the end of ourselves. And rather than heads down, he wants us to go heads up. Because Sarah's not the only one who struggles with this. This is our problem too. We have the Sarah syndrome in that we tend to focus on our weaknesses than on God's word. And that's what's happening. Sarah's focused on 25 years of limitations, 25 years of failures, 25 years of disappointments and dad's dreams and disappointed expectations, football's being moved, but God redirects her focus from her own dried up body and all the past mistakes and says, it's time to stop looking at yourself for answers and it's time to look at me because is anything too hard for me? Sarah had the choice to focus on her weakness or have faith in God's word and the same is true for us. We can either focus on our weakness or we can have faith in God's word. Listen, our weaknesses will leave us hopeless. Like Charlie Brown, faith in human nature. 
it leaves us on our backs. May, may not be I'm too old, but it might be I'm too shy. And I can't tell somebody about the Lord. And yet God promised to give us the power to do it. It might be I'm not smart enough. I can't understand the Bible. And yet the Bible says, God says, study to show thyself. This book is for every man, even the common man. He said, you say, I'm not spiritual enough. I can never be good enough. Well, it's a good thing that it's not about your righteousness then. Say, I'm not disciplined enough. I fail at everything. I can't be a contributing member of this church. And, but God placed every member of the body whom he would, including you, and he has a place for you. Don't say you can't. It's not about what you can't do. It's about what God can do through you. Say, I'm not disciplined enough. I fail at everything. And I'm too bound by sin. And I'll never gain victory. And yet Romans 6 says, you've already beaten sin through Jesus Christ. You, it's really not a matter of anything except disobedience if you submit to it. So when we hear from God's word, things like whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We have a tendency to sit in the tent and laugh and think, well, not me. You don't know what I've done, except that it's not about what you've done. Jesus Christ died for all of it, every sin you've ever committed. And yes, your sin is bad. And yes, it's an affront to God, but it's not about your sin. Jesus Christ died for all of it and the work is finished. So rather than sit in the tent and laugh, Look to God's answer and say, no, I'm going to stop looking at my weaknesses and start focusing on your word. He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, sometimes we think, well, be ye therefore holy as I am holy. That's what it says. And I'm laughing inside. I know myself. I could never be that good. But if God commanded it, friends, he's given us the means to see it accomplished. Through Jesus Christ. His righteousness has been placed over you. And you simply have to obey and claim the victory that he's already given you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And we snicker to ourselves, and maybe our wives do too. Say, I just, I'm a failure at being a husband. I could never love my wife like Christ loved the church. Except that, listen, that's focusing on your weakness instead of God's word. Because if God's word says husbands love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, then obviously he wouldn't tell us to do something he doesn't give us the power to do. He tells us to do that and he makes it possible because in our strength it is impossible, but in his strength everything is possible. Wives submit to your own husbands and we laugh. A wife might say, that's not in my nature, and it's not in our nature to submit. And yet if God says to do it, it's possible to do, even to an imperfect authority like your husband. Go ye into all the world. We laugh in the tent, and we think, not me. I can't even talk to people I know, except Jesus Christ said, Let's go ye therefore in my power. He said, if you will go, lo, I'll be with you always. Even into the end of the world. Listen, that's the Sarah syndrome. If we focus on our weakness instead of God's word. And you're right. In your strength, you can't. But when you come to the end of your answers, rather than give up, look up. Because in heaven, there is a God who can. And it's not your responsibility to save yourself. It's not your responsibility to make yourself holy or go in your own power or be a good parent. You come to the end of yourself and say, Father, I can't, but you can. Nothing is too hard for you. So I can't, but in your power, I can. That's what Paul did. 
2 Corinthians 12, my, my grace, he said, I'm at the end of myself and I've got this physical thing in my body. And he said, he came to the end of himself and, and God said, my grace is sufficient. Jesus Christ actually said, my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in what? In weakness. And when we come to the end of our plans, that's when God's work can finally begin. And this morning, there's somebody probably in this room in a group this size, when it comes to salvation, you, rec- you must recognize your inability to save yourself from your own sins and realize Jesus Christ already did the work on the cross. It's finished. And it's not too hard for God. You have some sin in your life that controls you and you must stop trying and start trusting God's strength. Jesus Christ died and rose again, which means he has victory over sin and death, which means that sin doesn't have to be your boss anymore. Stop focusing on your weakness and have faith in God's word. It doesn't matter if you're too whatever. Because the answer is, is anything too hard for the Lord? So I would just want to know, well, what redirected Sarah's focus from her weakness to God's word? Well, I believe the confrontation did. Because she said, she laughed, and the Lord said, why did she laugh? And she denied it and said, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And then he said, nay, but thou didst laugh. And you find out over in Hebrews 11, listen to this. It says, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. Here's why. It says it was, she was delivered of a child when she was past age. Why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. So when God came to Sarah this day, it wasn't to help Sarah conceive in that moment. It was so that Sarah would stop looking to her own answers and realize that nothing is too hard for God. And because of that, God allowed her then to conceive and have the son of promise because she stopped looking at herself and she judged him faithful um, who could help her. In the end, it was Sarah's turning from self to God that gave her the freedom to let go and let God do what only he could do. And she got her eyes off what she couldn't do and started focusing on God who can do anything. It is God's plan to do that which is humanly impossible. So that he can bless us and receive all the glory. It's God's plan to do that which is humanly impossible so he can bless us and and receive all the glory. He wants us to come to the end of ourselves. You realize that means that if we don't come to the end of ourselves, he can't bless us. Nor can he receive the glory that he deserves. Now as I was thinking about how this ends... You know, God, back in Genesis 17, um, you don't have to turn there, but when Abraham laughed, God said, your son's name is going to be Isaac. You know what Isaac means? It means he laughter. It means he laughs. Sarah laughed in disbelief, but when she stopped focusing on weakness and believed God's word, I can guarantee you this, when she had that baby boy, she laughed in a different way. And her laughter of unbelief turned to laughter of joy. And I imagine as she and Abraham are holding that baby so tightly, they're probably laughing at themselves. Thinking all those years we frustrated ourselves 
trying one thing after another thing after another thing, thinking that it's our problem to solve and that it's our situation to fix. And the whole time, God was just bringing us to the end of ourselves. Can you believe it, Abraham, how, how silly we were? We frustrated ourselves, and they're laughing, laughing maybe at themselves at how silly or simple they were, and then they're laughing for joy that God finally did what he told them that he was going to do. When we come to the end of ourselves, God will turn our laughs of doubt into laughter of joy. She discovered that true joy comes where you end and God begins. You know, the great thing about Charlie Brown, besides just the fact that it's funny, is this. If you wind up on your back, you have to look up. You know, Charlie Brown ended up on his back. And a lot of times we think, well, that's the end of it. But it's only in that position that you can actually look up and see God. And this morning, there may be some people flat on their backs because of all the things they've tried in their lives. And it's just failure after failure after failure. I'm telling you, in that position, it's the time to say, I'm not giving up. No, I'm looking up. Because confidence in man will leave you on your back, but while you're there, look up. And there you'll see your answer. Nothing is impossible with God. If it's salvation, look up. If it's a trial this morning, look up. If it's a health issue, look up. If it's a mess you've made, look up. And as long as you depend on self to enable God's promises, you'll continually have that football pulled out from under you. But while you're lying there, you might as well reach out to the God for whom nothing is impossible. Is anything too hard for God? The answer, capital N-O, and lots of exclamation points. Stop trying, start trusting. Stop focusing on your weakness and place your faith in God's word because he can do the impossible. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.